Hi, I'm Trevor Elio. And I'm Julie Stern, and this is Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts to uncover the concepts and patterns that help us organize our world. From farming to fashion, we can understand any field through acquiring, connecting, and transferring conceptual relationships. We hope this podcast will inspire teachers and students to design creative solutions to complex problems and accelerate innovation in today's schools. If you're interested in our work, you can find out more at edtosavetheworld.com. Today's guests are none other than our very own Michelle Pinckney and Kayla Duncan. Since the mad dash to distance learning environments last summer, Julie and the team have been hard at work looking to design a suite of courses that would help us spread the word and build a community of practice around learning that transfers. We had a blast designing the Learning Transfer Endorsed Educator course and have received a lot of positive feedback during our first two cohorts. As our third cohort kicks off this week, we thought it'd be fun to look back and discuss the creation of the LTEE course and preview some of our upcoming offerings. During the episode, Kayla and Michelle share their perspective on some of the course's anchoring concepts, community, sense-making, and accessibility. Kayla has gotten rave reviews on the overall course design, especially the unit storyboard that is completed throughout the course. With the storyboard, we thought, okay, what if we outlined the unit, the most essential uh, uh, concepts or skills, questions that we want them to answer, and then transfer type tasks. What would be these key pieces that if students can transfer to these different contexts, then we know that they've developed this conceptual understanding and they're able to apply it to new situations. And so like a storyboard for a movie, it's not every single line, it's not every single page of the script, but it provides a high level overview of what your students will do and be able to accomplish throughout this set of learning experiences. As a veteran of online course facilitation, Michelle shares her insight into the importance of keeping our courses accessible for all users. One thing is whenever I started teaching online, I didn't know that there were things actually in regards to accessibility. Like I didn't know what that meant. I remember them coming in and saying we had to make our courses accessible. And I was like, what are you talking about? Everyone can walk in. Um, and it wasn't about that. It was about um, if I'm a student and I can't see, or if I'm an adult, I actually have a teacher that I work with and he's visually impaired. And so making sure that everything that I do, I make sure that I have words. I make sure that I make sure my fonts aren't too bold. The colors aren't too bright. Little things like that, that we don't think about. Overall, we thought today's episode would be a fun peek behind the curtain for a project that we're really excited about and hope to continue expanding in the weeks and months to come. We hope you enjoy and consider joining an upcoming cohort. Our guests this week are none other than Kayla Duncan and Michelle Pinckney, members of the Learning Transfer team. Michelle is a social studies and world language coordinator in Texas, and Kayla is a personalized instruction coach in Georgia. Welcome, you two. How are we doing? Hey, Trevor. I'm excited to be here. Hi, I'm excited to finally be on this side of the podcast. So Trevor had this idea a while back to say, can we can we have the team on? Can we have the team in different different aspects? Um, and so we thought it'd be cool to talk specifically in this episode about our online courses. So we launched about what uh, three months ago or so um, our online courses, and they've been so wildly successful um, that we just wanted to talk a little bit about our online courses. And one of uh, so Nichelle and Kayla are both sort of our, our gurus on online instruction and and particularly online courses. 
Um, even though the whole team is participating in this endeavor, we thought we'd have the two of them on. And so Kayla, could you, we always ask our, our guests who come onto the show to share uh, three words that sort of ground the work. So when we think about um, online courses, could you share the three words that we all came up with um, that sort of symbolize our work for the online courses? Absolutely. So at the core of our work and what we felt like would be most important for our online courses were community and long-term relationship sense-making and accessibility. Community, sense-making and accessibility. Very cool. So why, can we just start with, with the first one, the community. Um, you were the main designer of our Learning Transfer Endorsed Educator course, which is our uh, most accessible course in, in financially and um, sort of our biggest course as far as number of people who join. Can you talk a little bit about what community means to you for an online course and what you did to, to sort of make that happen? Absolutely. So with the community, uh, with everyone being virtual, not having as many connections face to face, we really wanted to have some sort of environment where we could nurture these relationships internationally. And through that, we felt like our course really needed to be in a cohort model. We didn't want to do a 100% asynchronous jump in, jump out um, whenever you wish purely because we felt like the cohort structure would allow people to connect and learn and grow with each other over a set amount of time. We do have some structures in there to keep it a bit asynchronous and work at your own pace, but we really felt like having that cohort community feel was kind of vital to success for the course and creating the community for learning transfer that we wanted to see. Uh, ways that we've been able to do that are we've utilized discussion boards where people reply to each other, Flipgrid, Shout out for them. They have been a huge resource. Our participants love getting to see each other's faces and talk to each other. Um, it's been amazing listening uh, to their conversations. We've also utilized different Google tools with uh, participants commenting and giving each other feedback, working on Padlet. So we've tried to find and use a variety of tech tools to really increase and enhance that community feel to where we don't feel like we're more miles apart or hours apart in terms of time zones. Yeah, awesome. Uh, thanks for that. And Nichelle, you have been doing online instruction way before COVID and all of these things. So can you tell us any tips for our listeners on ways in which we could build community even in an online um, environment or a distance learning setting? Yes, it's so weird, though, because whenever I did it, I thought I was taking a leap of faith and being really out there. And then all of a sudden, now everybody's doing it. So <laughs> I don't know how awesome it was. Now I look back on it like, cool, I knew how to do this before everyone. Um, I think the biggest thing when it comes down to building that community is um, making sure that it's easy for people to do, even adults. Like, I think that's the hardest thing. I think people forget that just because I'm an adult, just because I have a phone, even kids too, just because mm. I have a phone, just because I play games does not mean I know how to use a computer. Mm. And I don't, that doesn't mean I know how to upload a video. That doesn't mean mm. I know how to do a lot of things. And so I think that's the first thing, making it easy. And then um, making sure you have clear directions, making sure you have um, minimizing how many apps you use. Oh, very cool. So it sounds like what you're saying, Nichelle, is that, uh, you know, first of all, let's not put people off of this or make assumptions about about what they're able to do. Um, anything else? Any other tips that you have for creating community on an online environment? 
yeah, just that idea of uh, limiting how much stuff we put out there. Like mm-hmm. the reality is if you make it safe and um, we in the language world, we use the word, the affect factor, the idea to allow students to feel welcome, to be able mm-hmm. to mess up the language because they just learned it. It's that same concept here mm-hmm. in the online world is to be able to lower that so that people are more willing to do those flip grids that Kayla talked about. They're okay with putting on the flip grid when everybody's behind them. Mm-hmm. So that idea of just opening up their world to people. And I think yeah. that's where the concepts of accessibility and community kind of overlap on one another because mm-hmm. if you have people who are so busy trying to figure out how to get onboarded with the tech tools and how to use eight different programs and there are like 12 different ways for you to connect it really disrupts that community and when you can create a space that allows um, users to focus on you know the actual community building the the interaction with one another instead of you know all the different ways that you potentially could interact I think that's what really leads to uh, people being willing to invest the time on what matters, which is your ability mm-hmm. to connect with other people around something that you're passionate about, as opposed to your ability to learn, you know, a bunch of different technology tools. So mm-hmm. I definitely think that those two kind of bleed into each other as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, one of the things that people were saying about the course was, uh, we've just heard from people sort of in one-on-one conversations, either via email or our own conversations that we've had with people is, Julie, they'll say to me, we were getting feedback from people all over the world. And I think that made it really cool uh, just to, to just, it was, you know, I said to my husband, I don't, I said, I don't want to, you know, shortchange our wedding at all to make this analogy, but I was like, it's all these schools I've worked with all over the world for a number of years, like meeting each other on, uh, you know, this online course, which is just like really fun. It was fun to sort of see different people meet each other. And then some of the people like, why well, I didn't know who they were, who are these people signing up just via the internet? It was really cool just, you know, to check out um, all these different people. We had every corner of the world represented. And we also are seeing our platform. We use Thinkific. Uh, we went back and forth. For another, um, that was kind of one of the, the main criteria was what platform will allow community. And we're seeing in, in three months, Thinkific has added more features. Um, so Kayla, I don't know if you want to talk about uh, a new feature that came about uh, that really is called communities, which is awesome. Absolutely. We in Thinkific wanted a way for participants to feel safe sharing questions or sharing ideas with each other, going back to Nichelle's point about a safe environment. And so they have these community boards within Thinkific and all of our users have access to it and it acts as a forum. So if they don't have social media or they don't necessarily want to send an individual email, they can pose a question for the group, they can share their ideas and resources with the group. And it's just been a wonderful way for participants to connect on an even deeper level. And we find them sharing and talking about things, not even in the course, but related on some level to transfer. Mm -hmm. And it's great to see how they're pushing each other thinking through this community board forum. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that happened sort of organically is, uh, so we talk about community and we sort of said community slash long-term relationships is uh, these partner schools. So we, we a long time ago, I just decided I hate these one-off workshops that, that I leave and I don't know what happens. And so it was actually your school district, Kayla in Georgia, which is one of the places where I started piloting, like, look, I'll give you a discount if you, if you have me more than once. Um, and so I started going to schools, physically traveling to schools twice in an academic academic year or once every academic year. Um, And that was so 
wonderful. And so I think um, thinking about our partner schools, we started, we launched this program um, really with, with via the COVID epidemic because I stopped traveling um, to schools to say, let's, let's sort of spread this out. And what we found was schools were saying to their faculty, who do you, who, who wants to enroll? And an entire faculty or half the faculty were enrolling. And that was, that was also a really cool sort of phenomenon that happened that um, teachers were able to really share building that collective efficacy on their campuses um, to be able to share what, what's going on in their classrooms, what's going on in their minds as they're doing these professional development. So that was, we didn't intend for that to happen. That would just happen organically where, um, you know, a single school was, was had a, a lot of people enrolling. So that was really cool. And I think that's one of the, you know, unique affordances of this time that we're in now where typically, you know, of course there, there have always been PD options available to people online and, and courses and MOOCs and stuff you can sign up for, but I don't think it was as much it wasn't as prevalent and widespread as it is now. And even teachers who would use it would maybe do it occasionally for one-off sort of PD. And typically, you know, the, the way that you are organized as, as educators are only based on your locality. It's the people at your school that are from the people in your district, and then you're organized based on your team, and then you're based mm -hmm. uh, on your grade level. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting now is there are new organizing models where people have a shared interest, and in our case, in learning transfer. And getting people together to uh, have that shared interest and to grow and develop and be speaking the same instructional language, I think is way more powerful than just putting a bunch of people in a room who have different philosophies, thoughts, and needs, and kind of um, just giving them a one-size-fits-all fits all PD. And what's really cool is seeing the blending of partner schools that we have that do have that sort of local context where everything they're doing is anchored in the school but then they're working with schools and teachers that are you know dotted all over the world and it was really interesting to hear the number of teachers who said the thing that they're most excited about is to interact with people all over the world through this course that's right and I, I really do think it, it sort of opens up the borders and expands the potential for people to collaborate and to discuss and to step outside of ourselves because I think so many other courses or sorry, so many other professions do that all the time. Um, so many other courses, it's about your network. I remember like, I never, I didn't have a LinkedIn all throughout college and all of my, my college friends were like, are you nuts, you don't have a LinkedIn? And I was like, what, what do I need a LinkedIn for? Like, I'm a teacher, we don't, we don't like, like you don't have build a network as it were. And it's only until more recently, the, over the last few years where I realized, oh wow, like, you know, there is so much potential to interact and engage with other people. So um, that being said, it is kind of a challenge. So Kayla, I'm curious to hear what you feel like some of the best affordances of building that community and giving that sort of cohort model and what have been some of the challenges of having to facilitate that. I, I know that you're in Julie, uh, Julie's email inboxes are even more full than they were before. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the beauty of it, all the things that we've mentioned, it's just really those what I think will be lasting connections and relationships between people um, across the globe, which is awesome. And then deeper understanding and kind of this learning transfer network that continues to bubble out and spread and shares this uh, vision for instruction that we hope that everyone would embrace. And so the having the cohort model really is a strength in that aspect. Um, if in terms of the participants and what kind of might be a barrier for them is sometimes schedules are busy. Right now in this cohort, we've experienced fall break or different holidays. And so uh, releasing the content week by week um, is sometimes tough for individual schedules, which adds pressure 
<laughs> to people. We don't ever want them to feel pressure like they have to rush or they're going to be behind. We don't take off points for late work. Um, <laughs> but it's, it is something to to think about if we had had a completely open um, and asynchronous. Sure, it might give that move at your own pace feel, but I believe that the interaction with facilitators with us as the course instructors and with each other outweighs the the self-paced asynchronous model um and i think that i hope that the participants know that they have someone in the course they can reach out to they have small groups for peer feedback we have our peer and our course facilitators and instructors and so there's someone for everyone um which hopefully again helps them feel connected and like they do have this network of people to to lean on. Just like any sort of teaching um, profession, you want to make sure that you're able to give feedback to participants in an appropriate amount of time. You want to respond to their questions in email so their voices feel heard. We want to accept feedback and then use that feedback to improve. Mm. Um, and also we need to make sure that our content's engaging and relevant and up to date. And so making mm. sure that we stay on the ball that from cohort to cohort, we are, we're learning, we're growing and we're iterating so that we can continue to put out a meaningful and engaging course is something mm. that's really important and sometimes time consuming, but mm. it's worthwhile. And, and I think that a, a big piece of that, uh, the feedback is all the different ways and modalities that we do provide feedback to people and allow other people in the cohort to give feedback. And one of the things that um, Nichelle was focused on in our course was thinking about accessibility. So Nichelle, could you talk about some of the tools that are um, available just to everyone and tools that we specifically kind of used in our course to make sure that people are being engaged with video, with audio, with text, uh, whatever sort of mode they're more comfortable in? One thing is whenever I started teaching online, I didn't know that there were things actually in regards to accessibility. Like I didn't know what that meant. I remember them coming in and saying we had to make our courses accessible. And I was like, what are you talking about? Everyone can log in. Um, and it wasn't about that. It was about um, if I'm a student and I can't see, or if I'm an adult, I actually have a teacher that I work with and he's visually impaired. And so making sure that everything that I do, I make sure that I have words. I make sure that I make sure my fonts aren't too bold. The colors aren't too bright. Little things like that, that we don't think about. Like my favorite until joining this team, my favorite font was Comic Sans. And it is no longer <laughs> my favorite font because I know that that's not what I should be using. And so that idea of one, it's bold, it messes up your eyes and just little mm. things like that, that we don't think about um when we're building things and I think now this is allowed um it's allowed educators to take in to consideration of those things like um kudos to Kayla like we talk about this in the course I was telling her this is so cool like you're doing this and doing and doing all these cool games that I pulled out of the course to give to teachers to hey how about you pull this into your class and so I think even our um, people that are in this course can utilize the things that they see in the course and say, hey, I wouldn't put that in my class now. How would that look? And, oh, I saw this thing in that course that I was working on um, late at night, and maybe I can try this with my students it, um, to give people the opportunity to want to do better in this online environment because it's, you know, it's difficult. It is difficult if you didn't get any training, if you don't know what's going on, and now you're taking this super cool online course that has all these cool um apps in there and websites and just different things that we've allowed people to see that they probably wouldn't have known about prior to taking this course. 
Definitely. And I have to give uh, a super shout out to to all three of you, really. Um, at first, when I, when I first saw the course and I was sort of going through it and editing, I was like, all the videos are like two minutes long. Like that is people are not going to want to pay for a course like that because it's too short. Um, and Kayla was like, no, 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 lady, that is the that is the way of the future. Like it needs to be really short and people love it. I mean, one of the things, one of the compliments we got, which I still can't get over, uh, for those of you who know, Angela Stockman is amazing. We, we've had her on the show. Uh, we're all about her on Twitter. She I love her to death. Um, and she has a ton of online courses herself, and she's been doing them for years. And she said on Twitter, so I think she would mind me saying this on, in the podcast, that she is, I think, maybe never or hardly ever seen a course that is so high impact for sort of low effort and and I just I thought that was Kayla that is like the best compliment ever so the low effort and high impact which I think is really great and super shout out to Trevor of course as our lead uh, aesthetic designer helping make sure our slides are pretty he told me that my slide game has increased exponentially and I'm like yeah since you came on the team <laughs> that's no mistake um and super shout out to Nichelle making sure that all of our videos had transcripts um and you know what's what's amazing about making things accessible and you know one of the first times I heard this was years and years and years ago um a guy who was deaf was giving a a, a talk and he said um you know when you when you make a wheelchair ramp then guess who else can use it? Parents with strollers, people with skateboards, people on a bike. Like, you know, we, when you make things accessible, um, so many other people get to use it. And we put transcripts to all of our videos really to make it accessible. Um, and, you know, we had we had English as a second language or as a multiple language. Lots of people in our course, English is not their first language. So they love the transcripts. And we also have really busy people who much prefer to skim read a transcript than to watch me talking about the slides. Um, and so that was like another thing that we that happened when you make it accessible, so many more people um, can access it. And so that was another really cool thing about the course. I would like to pivot to our second concept, which is sense making. Um, I've always, you know, sort of gently tried to frame uh, my work around conceptual understanding and learning transfer as a way to help um, people make sense of the world. And, you know, one of our, my signature workshop with Corwin Press was making sense of learning transfer because transfer is really hard and how do we make sense of it? Um, but having Trevor on the team is like exponentially grown sort of the ways in which we think about um, sense making and the ways in which concepts and transfer help young people make sense of the world. So can you talk, I'm gonna just kick it to you, Trevor. Can you talk more about um, sense making as a key concept for us? Sure. Um, I think that most of this just comes from the number of strange YouTube rabbit holes I fall down. Uh, and that was exponentially increased during the time of COVID. <laughs> and um, I, I appreciate that, that framing of it, but I just mostly saw it of me being like bored and texting you guys in the group chat and being like, look at this sick video I found. It's only an hour and a half. I promise <laughs> it's worth all, watching. All of them he shares with us. <laughs> um, but I, I guess on a more serious note, I, I do feel like there are, there are a lot of really interesting things happening outside of education in an attempt to make sense of our current moment of complexity. There are a lot of people um, in academia, a lot of people in the corporate world, there are a lot of people just generally who recognize uh, some of the, the chaos and the turmoil that we are dealing with that has only increased uh, in the last, I guess, few months, but it feels like decades, um, probably a little bit of both. 
And uh, it, it's, it's people who uh, are realizing that right now, academics has not really evolved to keep up with the times um, that we are in. And the, I think that that is something that people are aware of that education does need to increase in terms of um, the way that it pays attention to the world and how we are in the 21st century. But a lot of those solutions have been sort of maybe an oversimplification where it's just like, um, you, if you become a critical thinker, become a communicator. And um, what that, uh, even though those are great values and those are great skills, um, they're, that's not like a, an instant fix. It's, it's mm -hmm. much the, to navigate all the complexity that we're dealing with requires um, a deeper understanding of what those skills mean, how they look, what different practices uh, different people are saying about, well, how do you communicate in this context? And uh, mm -hmm. what knowledge can help you think critically across multiple contexts? So really for me, one of the focuses that I kind of wanted to, I guess, try to, or perspectives that I, I wanted to try to bring is thinking about how can we creates content and curriculum in these online courses that meet the needs of teachers that are in the classroom and that have tests that they are accountable to and have um, you know performance plans and, and uh, metrics that they have to meet, but also um, provide learning for students that doesn't just stop at the classroom and mm -hmm. can extend into the world. And mm -hmm. it's really one of my big focuses always just asking myself and asking my students like, why are we learning this? And how can it help us beyond the next test or even beyond the next year of school? And um, helping kind of break down the barriers in terms of what curriculum looks like, what emphasizes us and what kind of motivates our instruction. Um, so that's just something that I have been kind of, I guess, um, interested in and, and I've been really happy that everyone on the team has um, tolerated me just harping and, and, and thinking and sharing insanely long podcasts and YouTube videos. Um, but, but I do think that uh, education needs to start looking outside of itself a little bit and seeing well, what, are, what are people in other disciplines doing? What are people in other fields doing and how can we incorporate that? Um, I know mm -hmm. that like Kayla is really, is really big on design thinking. Um, mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with um, Julie the other day about um, systems thinking and systems mm -hmm. theory. And uh, it's, it's really cool how, you know, everyone on the team uh, is interested in things outside of education, but brings it back mm -hmm. to education and our practice. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's kind of my um, uh, perspective on, on why that sense-making piece is really important. Mm -hmm. I think um, to your point, like what we've done a good job of doing um, because y'all have these wonderful rabbit hole playlists of all of these videos that show these complex problems or like just happenings in the world is that in our course we're able to model that for our participants we're able to bring in real world context and real world problems and create experiences where the participants um, go through the student side of things and then also think about how to apply it on their own. So we're letting them interact with the content in multiple ways so that they can make sense of this process and our framework, um, our ACT model for acquire, connect and transfer and what that means for them in their specific and like unique context. And I think in both our learning transfer endorsed educator course and our leadership course, we've been able to um, really just kind of model those different strategies, give some tips on how to teach this way or how to coach for change and for instructional and paradigm shifts. And what does that mean um, in your building? And so I think that a lot of what we're doing is anchored in trying to connect to the real world, having that as part of our real world transfer and our student action, 
um, but then also modeling different strategies so that our participants feel comfortable and prepared to then go and do these things in their own place because they've been able to make sense of it throughout the course together. Yeah, I almost feel like, you know, we came up with this, uh, so just for our, our listeners to know, um, we already had a, a, a contract to write a book for Corwin Press called Le Learning That Transfers when COVID hit, uh, but we really, what did we have like a table of contents and maybe like the introduction? <laughs> um, and so it was, you know, COVID hit, we were trying to simultaneously write this book while provide things for teachers because it was overwhelming for everybody around the world. Um, and that's sort of where all of these things came about. The ACT model uh, came about both in conjunction with writing the book and um, providing tools for teachers uh, as they were planning, because we know we can't plan as long as, or for, for you know, in these lar as long chunks of time when it's an online environment. And so, you know, really helping teachers to sort of shorten their unit planning process and shorten their, their unit plans for students, shorten their instruction time for students in this virtual environment. Um, and, you know, somewhat of a, uh, it wasn't necessarily intentional, but this podcast was a result of that. Um, and so hopefully all of our, our listeners are familiar with this idea of, of a field being boiled down to three to five concepts. And this has just been so cool. It's almost like an accelerator, um, or I don't want to use the word hack because I feel like it's overused, but it is sort of like a hack to expertise or towards mastery. If we say to our very first guest was my mom, what about gardening? And she said, it's about the right plant for the right location. Boom. We had on um, Darren Cambridge, who talked about nonviolence. And he said, you know what nonviolence is about? And I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but he said, nonviolence is about planning, discipline, and love. I'm just like, boom, right there. If you don't know anything about nonviolence, you know that it has to be about planning, discipline, and love. Um, and just all of our podcast guests coming on, it's, it's just saying, can we identify these core concepts? And I think that process is proven to us. Um, my husband is a diplomat. So I said to him, hey, can you sit down and, and come up with 10 words that, that sort of are the core of diplomacy? And then can you boil it down to three? And at first, everybody, usually people don't really like it because they're like, no, all 10 of these are really essential. <laughs> um, but when you give them like four minutes, not very long, they'll say, you're so right. It's these three. That is what my husband said to me. I can't remember what they were, but we have to have him on one day. Um, but, it, you know, it's like these, these sort of three words. And imagine if we did that with all of our curriculum. Imagine if we did that for all of our courses, every single unit. And that's what we're asking teachers to do. And Michelle, you were you were not in your head. You want to say something about that? Imagine if we did that. Um, uh, amazing. Well, I was just, I was just thinking when you said that, like, I was like, oh my God, how life would have been so much easier if I had numbed it down to each unit instead of saying, no, you got to know all of this. Like mm -hmm. you got to know everything we're talking about. And it really does come down to that. I think the first time you and I sat down and talked about it and you were like, what were the concepts? And I was like, well, all of these are important. You're like, no, only three. And I'm just sitting there looking at that <laughs> list like, well, I guess you can do this because then this ties into this. And so I think um, you said it well um, when I saw you one time, like the students need to have places, folders to put this information mm -hmm. and make it easier. And I think adults do too, especially mm -hmm. right now, like we're trying mm -hmm. to figure out um, how do I grade papers, read, um, talk to kids online, talk to kids face to face mm -hmm. and keep my sanity. And God forbid, mm -hmm. if you have children too, mm -hmm. and then Amen. worry about all those <laughs> things. Um, and so I think um, being able to put concepts and being able to put all these things into folders to justify, okay, this works here and this works here. It makes things easier, I think. But yes, I 
this course helps um, put things into perspective, I think. Yeah, it's been really cool. So we have, you know, we have now over a hundred different of these example storyboards and we have, we will have 200 um, in the coming weeks. Uh, we will have 300 a few weeks after that because we keep having these cohorts and, um, you know, one of the, the things on our to-do list is some sort of searchable database where I'll like, does anybody have the technological skills to do this? So we may have to actually outsource this, but, um, you know, is there a way a teacher could put in, like, I teach world history, I teach, uh, you know, whatever it is that I teach and whatever my upcoming unit is and be able to find these storyboards that, that people have put all these amazing resources to. And because it is really, uh, it's it, what I love about the, the concept of sense-making is that what we're doing when we teach kids how to acquire, connect, and transfer is we're teaching them how to learn. And that's something that the people from the course, people in our partner schools that work with us say, yeah, I mean, how important is it today to teach kids how to learn and almost a, a hack for how to learn? How can you learn, you know, a, how can you get closer towards expertise in a, in a sort of more efficient or faster way is something I think is really exciting about what we've, we, we've, we've hit upon here. Um, yeah, and in addition to how to learn, it's how to use what you learn. I think that that I think that that's a, another huge piece too. Is that uh, and we talk about this in the book with the idea of creating a, a culture um, of transfer, where students feel like there is an expectation in place that when they learn knowledge, that knowledge is not inert. There is an expectation that, that knowledge has to be applied to other contexts. So it's something that they begin doing organically because that's just sort of the expectation that exists within the class. And and I think that um, you know when it, teaching kids how to learn unless you're also giving them opportunities to use that learning in different contexts, they might, they might have metacognition, but it's like, how can I best remember all the facts that I need? But if you teach kids how to learn and you're teaching them how to apply that learning, those two things together, I think are magical and they almost need each other. But if you, if you teach kids how to apply what they learn, but they can't reflect on one, how they, on, on what they've learned, they're not gonna be able to do it effectively. Um, but then on, on the flip side, once kids um, know how to use and leverage that learning, that's what creates I think investment. And that's been kind of uh, something that I've been harping on is this idea of, especially I think when it comes to online instruction and all the whiz bang cool technology that we have is there is a tendency to want to engage kids by replicating like entertainment um, for them. And not that entertain, entertaining students is bad or engaging students is bad, but when students are invested, right? That is I think like the real magic is when they really care and they're willing to um, and want to learn and to improve and to figure out um, the best ways that they can, you know, sort of adapt to this online module that, we in, be, that we're in because we, we can't really compete with the entertainment that kids can get on their devices. Mm. If we're only mm. trying to entertain them, <laughs> they're going to be like, what's more entertaining, Mr. Yale's assignment or Among Us? And they're going to say mm. Among Us every time. Mm -hmm. So it's helping them see, you know, uh, how to figure out, be reflective of what they've learned, how to apply what they've learned, but also figuring out what do students need or, or want to learn. And when you can really connect with that, I think that's powerful. I think that's just the magic of, of the unit storyboard that Kayla created. Um, and it's had several iterations. The, the one that we have now is our third iteration. Um, <clears throat> but really it was Kayla, you, you did that. Uh, say that again. <laughs> I said, thank goodness. The first yeah. one was, oh, well, I was so hyped when you put that in the group chat. Like when I you, saw that storyboard, yeah, I was like, yes, Kayla, this on, is the one. You fit it on one page, one slide, one Google slide. And, and some people, you know, put it onto more than one or they add columns, um, which I love. And I love when people make it their own. But the, 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 
brilliance of that unit storyboard, it's just Kayla, truly brilliant, is you got to acquire understanding of these anchoring concepts that we talked about, the three to five, you know, that really anchor the unit that you want students to consider in multiple situations. And then how are they going to connect them via a very fact-rich context? And then similar transfer, we're using the work of Perkins and Solomon, similar transfer to then dissimilar transfer. And people are interpreting that in, in all kinds of ways. Some of them are slightly less similar than the first one. And some are like, boom, a whole other field, a whole other discipline. And, you know, I always say to people, do whatever you and your students feel most comfortable with as first when you start playing this. But the last column says student action. And it's called the ACT model. At first, it was acquire organized transfer. So if you listen to the little intro of our podcast, you might notice that it shifted um, because we realized the whole whole thing is about organization. And then when we said, what if we say acquire connect transfer, OMG, the the acronym is ACT. And Kayla added that last column of action um, where students are using their learning in the world. And I mean, it's just, it's what I love about it is it feels like people either think you have to have this very intellectually rigorous, you know, sort of knowledge heavy unit, or you do something like PBL and it's very hands-on in the real world and that you can't have both. What's amazing about this is that you're, you're, we're combining the idea of sort of retrieval practice, space practice, the idea of students revisiting their thinking in multiple different situations, which tons of cognitive science says is a better way to help kids eight remember but you're doing it in a way that makes them practice transfer in dissimilar situations, similar and dissimilar, and then and then students take in action settings. So can you tell us a little bit more? I'm sure some of the people who are listening who got this far into the podcast might want to hear more about the storyboard. Can you tell us a little bit about how you designed that? Sure. So the storyboard really came about from conversations about the course and the book and just thinking how can we make unit planning feel doable and approachable in the high stress situation? We were originally thinking about COVID and the course. um, And a lot of times people are often bogged down with very lengthy unit planners, but we still wanted to think through our, like the full unit, our outcomes, uh, backwards design is still part of our process. And with the storyboard, we thought, okay, what if we outline the unit, the most essential Uh, uh, concepts or skills, questions that we want them to answer, and then transfer type tasks. What would be these key pieces that if students can transfer to these different contexts, then we know that they've developed this conceptual understanding and they're able to apply it to new situations. And so like a storyboard for a movie, it's not every single line, it's not every single page of the script, but it provides a high level overview of what your students will do and be able to accomplish throughout this set of learning experiences. And some people think of it as, okay, each of these phases, it's like my formative assessments building up to student action where these are kind of my little checkpoints, my benchmarks. Some like to think from the student action and the real world problem and plan backwards from that to, okay, what concepts are at play here? Now, how do I get those students from the real world problem to the concepts or vice versa. So it's really fluid and flexible depending on the, the teacher and their approach, but it's meant to be an outline that uh, shows the structure of how students will go through the acquire, connect, transfer phases. And I think something we've learned throughout this is that a lot of units will probably use more than one storyboard or 
in your storyboard, you might have multiple contexts or kind of iterations within it. So it really is this fluid iterative cycle that um, is just dependent upon your situation, how you plan and the way you think through it. But because of the flexible structure, you're afforded that, that option. Mm-hmm. I love that people in cohort one, um, we have someone who added a column to make uh, another transfer before they did the, the dissimilar transfer. We had another person who I love, what they did was they they had choice for student action. So they had like, they added two more slides and it just said um, you could, or choice for sort of dissimilar and the student action um, so that students could choose which context do you want to, to explore. Um, and yeah, we were just like, amen to that. We love the flexibility of it, um, but it also really focuses teachers on building that schema for students and being able to, to practice transfer multiple times. And that was a huge lesson learned, a huge aha for me. When I first started playing with transfer, it was like, we did a unit, 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 like World War II, World War II, World War II, and then boom, the assessment was transfer. And kids were like, what? Um, you have to transfer a couple different different times before uh, you, you sort of assess students on their ability to transfer. So I love that it's, you know, multiple times. And I, th- I think that flexibility is such a key strength just to not only the storyboard, but just the approach overall. It's, I think the question that we receive a lot is, am I doing this right? Is this okay? Like people are frequently mm-hmm. asking for permission for things that make sense in their context and work with their curriculum. And we're like, yes, absolutely. As long as there's some sort of intent or reason behind it. I think that flexibility is huge and it's something that not a lot of teachers maybe are used to. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the, the freedom within structure sort of design principle that Julie has brought to all the work that, that's been done is, is key because I think that the, there's, it's like a Goldilocks situation. A lot of stuff doesn't really have any structure and it's very much just, well, just, you know, you, the kids will figure it out or you'll figure it out. And it's, it's very permissive, which is great, but then it becomes very confusing and it's very like, oh, well, this one teacher did this amazing thing, but how could I replicate that in my context? And then the other shift is, is structure for the sake of structure. And it's like, no, you know, this curriculum that you have or, or this lesson that you do must be replicated in this form or it's wrong. And finding that sweet spot at Goldilocks has been so powerful. I mean, and I just think about how like in my own classroom, um, I am taking things, uh, design principles from the course, ideas from the book, lessons and strategies, and sort of putting them into this um, this gumbo uh, that becomes what I end up teaching in class. And, and being able to have that, I think, is is so powerful because I feel like I have get, I'm given a shape and a structure and a direction, but I don't feel beholden to it. I, if I need to iterate or remix something, that's like that's encouraged, which which I think is which is, I think is awesome. I have to agree with you on that one, Trevor. I liked, I think my favorite part of working on this team and working with the storyboard was the flexibility and simplicity and the student action. I mean, um, I'm a social studies teacher at heart. I'm a, I tell people all the time I'm an activist. I'm the one fighting for everything. And that idea of that I can have students take action, even if it's not the way I see it, but that idea that they get to choose and mm-hmm. they have that flexibility to be like, yeah, well, Miss Pinkney, I don't see it that way, but I do see it this way. And I'm like, hey, go with it. Let's see how mm-hmm. that goes. Let's see mm-hmm. where you went with that. Or that moment, um, I always call it that aha moment when kids would walk by my door and say, Speaking, I was watching this last night and it's kind of like what we talked about, right? right. And I'm like, yes, it is. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't been teaching to no one. Like someone heard me <laughs> and it just made it easier. And so this idea of 
that flexibility being there to know that, okay, if my kids don't get it, I can go back and I can go back and it's okay to go back because they're going to be able to catch that concept later because that concept is rooted and grounded in all these other pieces that I know it's there. Mm. And so that, yeah, I love the, mm-hmm. I love the student action and the flexibility. Yeah. And I think the, the cool thing about all those, so that by the time they get to action, it's the fifth column in our, in our storyboard and Kayla's storyboard design. Um, so it informs action. It's not, you know, uh, I had a professor who would say action with the brain attached, that it's not just, you know, going out there and shouting uh, whatever it is that you, your mom told you or whatever, but that students are really informed by the time they get to that action piece, which is really cool. Um, so just wrapping up here, I want to make sure we, we, we really talked a lot about accessibility throughout, but I just wanted to, to talk, ask Nichelle in particular, um, if there was anything you wanted to add about accessibility uh, of, of making, of online learning of, of our courses um, or anything that else that you might want to say about accessibility. Um, well, we hit the point mostly in regard to making sure that, like I said, the making sure our fonts are there, making sure colors mm-hmm. are easier for people, making sure that um, you reference for the person that needs to read it because of the different languages that may be involved Mm -hmm. or the closed captioning that was provided, transcripts, Mm -hmm. um, just making sure that people can utilize it in the way that we need them to be able to utilize it. And so that everyone can um, be able to access it and be able to utilize it. And I, uh, this is not a part of normal accessibility, but I even think making sure, I'm gonna bring in, making sure the cost and what you've put out for people too, because um, if it's something where you want to reach all types of people, you've allowed so many more people to be able to do this in this time period, um, mm-hmm. in such a time as this, as they say. Mm-hmm. So yes, that accessibility needs to be there in allowing students and adults to be able to utilize what you have out there for them. Yes, thank you for bringing up that cost too, because people were telling us you need to charge more for this. But uh, we other we have you know <laughs> sort of to to end, we can pivot to our other offerings and what we have coming down the pike. We, um, Kayla mentioned our leadership course that she and I are running right now. Um, and so I don't know when we'll open up another cohort because that one sold out pretty quickly, our very first cohort of leadership, and it's been going really well. Um, but we do have a lot coming down the pike. That'll be a little bit more expensive just because we want to uh, give more time to it. So one thing that we do with the Learning Transfer Endorsed Educator is, you know, really, um, it's pretty it's pretty peer run. Um, And so our other courses, we provide some live calls, we provide one-on-one feedback, things like that. So things coming down the pike. Um, uh, Let's see, we've got the leadership point coming up and then we're gonna launch probably the next one uh, with Nichelle's permission is gonna be social studies. So we're we're gonna start doing a discipline specific course. Um, And so we feel for, we feel social studies is, well, you guys, uh, it's my my discipline and Nichelle's discipline and also so the most important in the world right now, if you if you look around, um, and so we feel like that's one that we really want to start with. Um, and then when our book comes out, we'll we'll launch a whole other series. So we sort of keep a lookout for um, an, a huge batch of discipline-specific courses coming out in March, and then probably another round of things like uh, Trevor and I are going to do an interdisciplinary one. Um, we've got speaking of equity, speaking of accessibility, we've got one for language learners, uh, students with disabilities, etc., to make uh, learning for all equitable. Uh, we, what else do we have? An assessments one we've got planned. We have just a lot coming out. So we hope to sort of big batches of 
course is launching in March, another, another batch in June-ish, uh, when we think teachers will have time <laughs> to, to actually enroll in this, and then maybe another set in the fall. So that's kind of our, our next step. So you guys want to add anything? Uh, what did I miss for what's coming down the pike with these courses? I know, I, th I think that's most uh, pretty much everything that we were saying, but I think that one of the big pieces kind of tying all these things together of community sense making and, and accessibility is thinking about how can we make sure that whatever content we put out there, um, any teacher in any context can be like, I can see how this relates to my classroom. I know when we did our first cohort, there was a teacher who was in um, uh, art teacher and our, our, uh, the first context uh, that, we, that we sort of ran the teacher so she was like, I'm a little confused. I'm like thinking in like art terms and I'm thinking about skills. And then she saw storyboard in her discipline and instantly she was like, oh, okay, I totally got it. And it makes sense. And then it made her appreciate the previous uh, context looking at SDGs more because she understood that, that structure. So I think that that's something that um, is gonna be a really cool offering that um, when teachers uh, receive PD, when I have received PD as a teacher, there are times where I'm like, how does this really relate to me in my practice? And you know, when the, the book comes out and there are all these courses that are aligned with that same instructional language, but are, are crafted for a specific discipline or for a specific like assessment or leadership, really thinking about how can we make sure that every teacher, every educator, every leader um, can find something that resonates with them, um, with our work. So they feel like it, it is a like sort of tailored bespoke experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's been so, I think impact has been just a number one word. And I feel like when I was on planes flying all over the world, especially doing these one-time workshops and then I'd leave, um, it was, it, it, I had a moment where I was like, no, this is not for me because who knows what even happens after I leave. And sometimes, yeah, oftentimes people would email me, you know, months later saying, hey, Julie, you really impacted my classroom. Um, but this, this way of really reaching so many people in so many different contexts and, and in this um, online world, it's, it's been so powerful to watch. So kudos to Kayla, kudos to Nichelle. Thank you guys so much for everything you did to get that first course off the ground. Um, thank you to, to Trevor for, as always, having great ideas for this podcast and um, even bringing everybody on to talk about course creation. I think it's been really fun. So super thanks to you guys. I've loved it. It's allowed me to apply some things that I've been interested in and I uh, had my first real online course kind of instructor experience. So it's been awesome. You knocked it out of the park. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conceptually Speaking. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and are coming away with a stronger grasp of the concepts and mental models that help us understand our world. If you like this podcast, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platform. If you want to learn more or get involved, check out our website at edtosavetheworld.com and join our Facebook group, Learning the Transverse.